Amen. Thank you, Brother Roger, very much. And thank you for those of you that are here, those tuning in at home. And, uh, well, we just counted a blessing to be able to uh, open the Word of God and get something from the Lord. Amen. You know, these are such crazy times and so much uh, misinformation. It's a blessing to have the Bible, the absolute source of truth and comfort and strength that indeed is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And I thank God that we have it in our own languages. There are places yet that still don't have it in their language. But I thank God that we have it here. And uh, and so therefore, knowing this, knowledge makes us responsible. Amen. And so I want to encourage you in that. I've got this lesson tonight and uh, and just one more, brethren. Uh, for those of you who have been wondering, when are we going to start working with the ladies? And so... Uh, in just a couple weeks, Lord willing, we'll be, we'll be starting on some things uh, uh, for the ladies. And so I, I want to encourage you ladies, don't be absent, amen. Don't suddenly have extra loads of laundry and you got canning to do and grandchildren to look after. I want you to be here and be in your place, amen. Uh, all right, thank you, brethren. I know you, 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 that you had a silent amen in your hearts. And, uh, and so, but I'd like you to turn in your Bibles tonight to the book of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 9, and I want to talk to you about a topic that, uh, that is oftentimes referred to when it comes to sometimes political parties, sometimes uh, we might think of it along the lines of patriotism and the like, uh, maybe how we uh, relate to our country or whatever. And uh, and we're going to talk about that, and then I'm going to I'm going to give you a little test here. Uh, it's, it's not much of a test, but I'm going to read you something that a young man wrote when he was 16 years old, and he wrote it several years ago, a few decades ago. And I'll read you a portion of it tonight. But I want to read this passage first in the book of Ecclesiastes, and it's in chapter nine, in verse nine, chapter nine, and verse nine. And so those of you at home would ask the question, you know, who wrote the book of Ecclesiastes? Who wrote that book? Who wrote the book of Ecclesiastes? We know it was Solomon. Amen? It was Solomon. And, uh, and his, it was his take on life under the sun, uh, really apart from God. And I thank God there's a God over the sun. Amen? And uh, that helps us in this, in, and whose thoughts are towards us for good. But notice what... Uh, Notice what Solomon said here in this passage in chapter 9 and verse 9. He says, Live joyfully with the wife whom thou lovest all the days of the life of thy vanity, which he hath given thee, that he refers to God, which he hath given thee under the sun all the days of thy vanity, for that is thy portion in this life and in thy labor which thou takest under the sun. God wants you and I, brethren, to enjoy the life that we have with our wives. Amen, brothers, right. You know, marriage, according to the book of Hebrews, it is holy, it's honorable, and I submit to you this passage teaches us that God intended for it to be enjoyable. Enjoyable. And I've repeated that from time to time. And you know, because when, when you talk with people, man, there's so many... Uh, I don't want to say slanderous, but they're, they're just defaming jokes about marriage and about couples. And, and I want to say, you know, it doesn't have to be that way. I remember, I remember talking to uh, the EMS crews when I was handling their part, in a portion of their new employee orientation. And I talked to them about stressors and the like and about maintaining some of their sanity and sensibility. And I, I talked to them about this matter and, uh, about about marriage and you know and I said that you know that law enforcement fire and EMS have the highest rates of divorce of any occupation in the land but it doesn't have to be that way and it doesn't and so there are the the word of god has plenty to say about maintaining our homes and doing what we want to talk about tonight but uh but let me let me let me give you this little poem a portion of this poem that this young man wrote when he was all of 16 years old and I don't know if he was looking to his grandparents or maybe his own parents I don't know when he penned this but he said this he said when i get older losing my hair many years from now uh 
Will you still be sending me a valentine, birthday greetings, bottle of wine? If I'd been out till quarter to three, would you lock the door on me? Will you still need me? Will you still feed me when I'm, who knows the rest of that? When I'm 64, amen. Now, he's a lost man that wrote this, so I'm not advocating. I have to, you know, you just about got to put a disclaimer on everything that you read. I'm not promoting the bottle of wine, okay? So don't focus on that. You can do that, can't you? I'm sure that there's a a little grace out there. He said, I could be handy mending a fuse when your lights have gone. You could knit a sweater by the fireside. Sunday mornings, go for a ride. Doing the garden, digging the weeds, who could ask for more? Will you still need me? Will you still feed me when I'm 64? What was he talking about there? He's talking about a word, as I said, that's oftentimes used when, when uh, maybe you have a friend that's in trouble and you take a stand with him. We call that word loyalty. Loyalty. And it's something that helps bond the two of you together as husband and wife in your union that you have together is to be loyal one to another. And I want to challenge you tonight with that. You're there in Ecclesiastes. Turn right in your Bible and go with me to the book of of Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 2. Malachi chapter 2. If you get to Matthew, stop right there, turn left, go back one book, and you will come to the book of Malachi. Malachi. I want to talk to you about loyalty. And I'm going to say to you, beloved, loyalty, particularly in these days, you know, what what are the signs of the times? That men are lovers of their own selves. They are implacable. You can't satisfy them and, and the like. And, uh, and as a result, they are lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God and oftentimes so selfish and so full of pride that they only think about protecting themselves and not really when the, when the chips are down, not really standing with you, maybe when, maybe when you need them the most. What does the scripture say in Proverbs 17? It says, a friend loveth at all times. That is both in adversity as well as in achievement and doesn't consider those things to be hardships, to stand with their brother, to stand with their brother. But look with me here in Malachi chapter 2, and I want you to see your place here. Start with me, look with me in verse 10. He said, now, now understand, understand what's happening here, this last book of the Old Testament. What was happening in the, in the land was they had fallen, if you will, there was a falling away of sorts, uh, some apostasy that had, had taken place. They weren't honoring their relationship with God. They weren't honoring their relationship with one another. And they weren't honoring the relationship that many of them were having with their wives. And God holds them accountable for these things. Notice what he says. He says, verse 10, Have we not all one Father? Hath not one God created us? Why do we deal treacherously every man against his brother? By profaning the covenant of our fathers. Judah hath dealt treacherously, and an abomination is committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah hath profaned the holiness of the Lord, which he loved, and hath married the daughter of a strange God. If you will, their spiritual fornication, their their iniquity in this. Notice what he says, The Lord will cut off the man that doeth this, the master and the scholar, out of the tabernacles of Jacob, and him that offering and offering unto the Lord of hosts. God wasn't interested in receiving something from them when their allegiances and their loyalty to him had come into question. He was putting it from him. Notice what he says, And this have you done again, covering the altar of the Lord with fear, with tears, with weeping, and with crying out, insomuch that it regardeth not the offering any more, or receiveth it with good will at your hand. They had made some choices and some decisions, and then when things were against them, God really wasn't moved by their crying because of, what their, because of the inclination of their heart. Notice he says, verse 14 says, Yet you say, Wherefore? Because the Lord hath been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth against whom thou hast dealt treacherously, yet she is thy companion and the wife of thy covenant. Thy covenant. And brethren, you know what I want to say to you, you know that marriage is a covenant. I repeat that to you. Marriage is a covenant. 
a legal and binding agreement between you and your spouse and with God Almighty that the two of you are going to be committed to the union that you are moving toward and that you are going to fulfill all the days of your vanity here on the earth. You know, I I, I looked up some statistics and... uh, I want to end on positive things, and so this little bit of negative here, but the Institute for Family Studies did some research. They did some polling. I'm not exactly sure how many thousands of people they spoke with, but they, they, if you were to go to their website, they have a lot of statistics and so forth. Some are fairly current. They did this in 2018, and they said two things that they drew from, the, from all the statistics that came in. They said in general that men are more likely to cheat than women in their relationship. Women, according to them, women more so in their younger years, but as they grew older, they were less and less likely. Men were less likely in the early years, but the older they got, the more, the, the more that they moved in the other direction. It was almost like in direct opposites of each other. And there was about an 18% difference altogether. And these things, had they were age-related in what they did. And it said this, here was another conclusion that they came to in asking and polling certain questions. They said adult men who didn't grow up in an intact family and those who rarely or never attended church services or religious services are more likely than others to have cheated on their spouse. Coming to the house of God, getting saved reading the Bible, and working together in your union, I mean, it has its benefits, amen? And, uh, and so, again, I, the, 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 you know, because here's the thing, worldly practices are the result of worldly principles. And so, beloved, we've got, we've got to get a grip on this. And loyalty, if you will, loyalty is something that should be, that just should be, it should stand out, if you will, in your marriage, that it is the two of you against the world. You know, the scripture says that a brother is born for adversity. Now, I, I, I know that, that we, we, there's a couple ways that you could interpret that when you're growing up. And I suppose if, if the Johnson boys were here, they probably could tell me. If, if Brian uh, Doss were here, we could probably ask Brent about that. Did you all ever have disagreements of brothers are born for adversity? I, I think about sometimes some contentions. I see a few smiles out there. Amen. As his memory is working. And, uh, but but really what's that talking about, what that really means is, you know, you, somebody else, you know, I may pick on my brother, I may pick on my sister, but by golly, don't let somebody else do it. Because a brother is born for adversity, meaning that if something happens to my brother, that in that natural state, he's going to come alongside that brother and take up his cause and be there for him and be there with him. As we learn in that book, in that verse in Proverbs chapter 17, You know, a friend loveth at all times, at all times in those situations. And so loyalty ought to be a watchword that we have about us when it comes to our wives and our relationships with them, all right? And this is true. I I can't just say this is something that just should be uniquely male, if you will, in uh, in its substance. But really, this is something that crosses over between the two of you in your relationship, that you should be loyal to each other. And, and it, when did it start? Really, it started when you were courting and so forth. Otherwise, you'd have never got to the wedding. Amen. That there must have been something there that was drawing you. Uh, you know, my wife and I, we were not saved at the time that we got married. And I suspect there may be some others. We Neither of us were raised, quote, in a Christian home and so forth. And uh, we didn't have a lot of those godly principles. I, I mostly had those worldly principles that produce worldly practices in my life. And as what my parents had, they didn't... My, my mother didn't get saved till much later in life. And uh, I believe that summer of 1979 when she got born again and brought the gospel off yonder up there to us in Alaska. And, uh, and so they had done a lot of living and so forth. And, and, uh, and a lot of life had already gone, if you will, under the bridge. But really, you know, this loyalty begins officially, if you will, in that sense 
at your wedding. And I want you to turn with me to Matthew 19. Matthew 19. And I know you've worked hard today and you've been out in that heat. And those of you at home, uh, maybe you've got something cold to drink sitting there by you while you're maybe you're in your recliner or whatever. But I hope you'll turn with me in the Word of God. That'll do you much more than my opinion. Amen. And, uh, and so here in Matthew 19, I want you to see that loyalty, you know, it ought to be, it was addressed in our wedding. As I said before, marriage is a covenant. Now notice what this said in verse 4. Matthew 19 and verse 4. He answered, that being the Lord Jesus, the Pharisees were there trying to trap him. They were asking him a question about divorce. You know, if, if, if this, if this woman, uh, or, or can a man put away his wife? And that word putting away, that's a phrase that means divorce. And, uh, and so can he put him away for any cause? And they weren't there to get a blessing. They were there to try to trap him or catch him, find a reason to accuse him. And he responds to them and says, beginning in verse 4, And he answered and said unto them, Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. So, you know, there, there, you, you, you look at some things here in this passage of what he explains, and I, I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but I will tell you that the bottom line here, God intended for that wedding and that marriage, that union to be permanent. Till death do you part. He said, whatsoever, therefore, that God hath joined together, God's joining it together, because marriage, beloved, is God's institution that He brought to man. That's not man's institution to discriminately handle any way that He wants to. You know, I remember, I get offended by this, you know, I, in spite, I do have feelings about some things. And, but I, you know, because here's the thing. Now, I like to cut up and laugh and pick. Uh, as much as anybody, and I, I'm bad about it. But uh, but there are some things, you know, that I take very seriously. And spiritual matters to me are serious matters. And they're not for joking. And it's not for foolish jesting that leads to more ungodliness. And uh, I, I remember uh, somebody was talking about getting married at one of the fire departments. And uh, and I and I wasn't, uh, what's the word I was, I wasn't... Uh, I wasn't seeking a job. You understand? I wasn't looking to do the wedding. I didn't, I didn't, I'm not a marrying Sam. And you, I'll explain that to you later. Uh, that was somebody out of an old cartoon, uh, little Abner. But I wasn't looking for the job to do it. And I didn't volunteer my services or whatever. But I asked him, I said, who's going to do it? And, and somebody, somebody piped up in the group amongst the firemen and said, I'm going to do it. I said, really? I said, how are you going to do that? And he said, well, I already went online. He said, I paid $20 and I'm an ordained minister. That was the wrong thing to tell me. And I think I had a look on my face about like I have it right now because I'm reliving that moment. And I said, how would you feel like if I got my fire certification, if I spent 20 bucks and got online and... And I, now I could say I'm a, I'm a certified fireman. Would you let me work on your family? Would you let me work on your house if it was on fire? Would you let me drive the... This is what I was just getting started. Would you let me drive the apparatus? Would you put me on the nozzle? And they just were like, well, well no. Well, then what makes you think that you are qualified? The book of Hebrews says that no man takes this thing, this calling unto himself, but he that's called to God. And there's a process with that. And a right process, a good process. And I've seen it go good and I've seen it go bad, haven't we, brother? We've had to withdraw our seal of approval, if you will, on someone and withdraw their papers from them. It's happened. And uh, because, listen, I'll say again, that the, that the institution of marriage doesn't belong to man. It was God's gift to man. Because God said it wasn't good for man to be alone and He wanted it to be right. He wanted it to be holy. Something that He would sanction. And so brethren, when we got involved in this covenant, we agreed 
with our spouses. And ladies, you did as well that you and I, we were committed to the individual that we were saying, I will and I do. I'm committed myself to this union. I, brother, the words that came to my mind, brother, when I was, th- I was thinking about the word fidelity and I was thinking about the word commitment as I was meditating on that word loyalty. And what came to my mind was, was the Marine Corps, Semper Fi, always faithful is what that means. Always faithful. No matter what the circumstance, no matter the calling, no matter, no matter if there's more of them and fewer, more of the enemy and fewer of them, they were still going to behave like Marines. Because it wasn't for sale and it wasn't up for trade. There's a loyalty about those things. Is there not, brother? I, I, I think there is. Of those that, uh, the two men that we were talking about earlier, these brethren that are sick, if you just ask them, buddy, I mean, they, when they come to play golf, they got, they got Marine Corps on their hats. It's a, it's a wonder it's not on the golf bag or whatever. Don't they, brother? They're, you know what? Somebody told me, they said, man, it's 12 weeks of, of terror to spend, the, to, to spend the rest of your life with a heart of pride in what they had accomplished. But beloved, you and I are to be committed. You think about it. When you bought that car, you made a commitment to the bank, didn't you? I mean, maybe good on you. You saved your money. You had cash on the barrel, amen, and you bought it like that. I say good on you. But for most people, when you bought your house, wow, that's even better if you could do that. But for a lot of people, you know, it's you and the bank that own it, amen, for right now. But what you did, you made a commitment. You told that bank that I'm going to pay this much every month on the same day of the month for the next however many years, 30 years, if you got a fixed note, 15 years or whatever you could afford. But you made a commitment and people don't look at that and they don't, they don't seem to vacillate so much on that. But it's like marriage, man. I mean, you know, it, you know it, if it doesn't work out, well, I'll just get me another one. No. There's no plan B for the believer. Now, I know that there are biblical grounds for divorce, and I'm not in denial about those things. And there are reasons why a wife or a, or a, or a widow or a widower could remarry. There are biblical things for that, and I'm, I'm not going to go through all of that tonight, but I understand that there are exceptions. But what we're talking about tonight, amongst those two living parties, amongst those two people who have agreed, that there ought to be loyalty together. And you know what? God had enough foresight, uh, brethren. When I, was, when I was doing this study, you, I'll just mark it down here for you. You can look it up later. In Deuteronomy 24 in verse 5, it says that if a man has taken a new wife, he is not to go to war and he is not to have any other business for the next year. Did you hear that? He's not to go off to war and he's not to have any other business for the next year. And the scripture says that he might cheer up his wife. That's the word, that's the phraseology that God used. He said, cheer up. Why? Man, she's leaving father and mother. She, maybe she's leaving something that was really nice and now it's just the two of you in a Volkswagen and everything you own fits in there. Amen. Uh, you know, and it said, you know, it, it, I was telling Debbie a little bit about this and she reminded me when I told her about this verse, I said, man, God is taking care of all these things. If you go back and look at his ideas about marriage and the, some of the, uh, some of the, if you will, I, I hate to say rules, but some of the things that God expected when it came to couples and so forth, if they were having problems and the like, and if he hated her and, you know, but he couldn't mistreat her and, and all these issues, God had taken care of all those things. And so I was telling Debbie about that they shouldn't go off to war. And uh, because, you know, we, we got married on a Friday and, uh, and I left on Tuesday and I was gone for four months. And then when I came home, she reminded me about this. Then when I came home, we went to my first duty station. We get there, you know, and, and, uh, and I have some leave time and I had forgotten about this. And so I'm telling this, she's listening. And I told her I was going to tell it. But, uh, but what happened was, you know, I, I was a munitions maintenance guy. Man, I was a bomb loader. And son, I wanted to get over there and I wanted to load bombs and teach these pilots so we could go over there and, and kill all them people in Vietnam. That's what was on my mind. It wasn't about taking, you know, another week of leave. And she asked me about that. She said, well, your leave's not over. And I said, yeah, but honey, I, you know, I got to go to work and all these kind of things. And so I canceled my leave and I went to work. 
And she and so she tells me today, after 48 years, nearly 48 years, she said, yeah, when you left, I cried. I said, man, I don't remember any of that. And it was like, well, I didn't tell you about it back then. She didn't. But God knew what he was talking about. What was he doing? He was trying to make it where that union could get off to a great start. Where they could be joined together, if you will, of one heart to encourage one another, to solidify. And for her to see in particular that, yes, this tow-headed boy really does love me and care about me and is concerned about me and going to take care of me and provide for me and see to my happiness. Because, you know, when you committed to that, you committed to the well-being of that union. And then you committed, if you will, yourselves in this that... uh, In other words, that you were going to fulfill the role that God intended in your life. And you were going to have time to learn about that. Because, boy, wasn't there an adjustment period? I mean, wasn't there an adjustment period? Man, I mean, particularly maybe if you grew up in a house and it was all full of boys and you didn't have any girls... Or, or maybe all you came from was a home full of girls and didn't have any boys. And now you, you, you put those kind of people together and all of a sudden, man, it's not that way. I mean, you know, you're, you, ladies, you're used to seeing hair in a sink. And a guy goes over there and looks and says, man, how am I supposed to brush my teeth with that? You know, or whatever. Or, or back in those days, nylons hanging over the, clothes, the, the shower curtain rod, right? I told Brother Rod I was going to take you all back on memory lane. Yeah, they, they, they actually had stockings like that back then, all right? And, uh, and so, uh, and so it was an opportunity for you to begin to mold and shape that relationship, if you will, to stand the test of time. And God intended it for it to be that way. I remember, I remember going to, when I was traveling on deputation and being up in Pennsylvania, I, I learned some things about the Amish. Man, you know, you, if you're going to go to one of those, uh, if you're going to go to one of those farm sales or when they sell out, you better have a bunch of money because them Amish, they got the first nickel they ever made, and uh, they are very frugal, aren't they, Brother Doug? They're very frugal, and uh, and what I learned about them is that when they when those little kids are are little, they don't do any work until about the age of seven. And then from seven on until they get to be the teenage years, that's when they work and they put their money away. And when they get married, after they sow their wild oats or however long that takes, after they get, when they get married, their parents have put away money and the money that they have put away from selling crops or cattle or whatever it was, that they have enough to start their farm, buy their house, and they are debt free. Now, I, I wouldn't give you much for their religion because that's what it is. But at the same time, they have some principles about their life that carry things over to help that couple have the best start they could have. Amen. And so that time together, so it started really here when a man leaves father and mother and cleaves unto his wife. And I mentioned this a couple weeks back. Hey, you leave emotionally, you leave financially, you leave spiritually, you're establishing some things, you're getting your home rooted and grounded together, praying together, talking together, holding hands. You know, the whole gamut, men, that you did in those days with your wife. And God expects for that to go on throughout your union together. You know, it's just like that poem, you know. Will you still need me? Will you still feed me when I'm 64? Either turn gray or turn loose, but it's still the me. It's still the you. And you've made that commitment to each other. So it starts, if you will, it starts in your wedding. Because, you know, the times in which we live, according to Romans chapter 1 and verse 31, we're in the, we're in the day and age of covenant breakers. That's what Paul said back then. Covenant breakers. And it doesn't mean much to people today. They'll get, they'll get some justice of the peace, or they'll go here, go there. But to actually sit down and, and meet, you know, and I, I'm counseling a couple right now that's wanting to get married at the end of this month, and they they got they had their Bible and they go to church together and they pray together. They they just said we just want to do some things. 
we, we want to start right. And, uh, and I commended them for it because so many people, they, they spend thousands of dollars and months in preparation for a ceremony that's going to take about 30 minutes or less, two hours of eating cake or whatever, and a band, and have made no preparation for the rest of their lives. It's silly. Be loyal. Be loyal. Be there, man, in the thick and the thin. And that's what we said, right? For better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. All the variables that are out there that life can muster and bring your way, God is looking for the two of you to be loyal. So it starts with our wedding. And brethren, it carries on in our words. Our words as husbands. I want you to go to Proverbs 31 with me. And thank you again for turning. Proverbs 31, loyalty. Boy, those of you that have your own businesses, isn't it a blessing when you have a loyal employee? I mean, they treat the business as if it was theirs. They're, They're considerate of expenses. They're considerate of the equipment and so forth. They come to work on time. Maybe they stay later. They don't nickel and dime you over every little thing. They're not trying to find a reason not to be there. They're engaged. They're committed to, to the, their employment and to what the boss wants them to get accomplished. Loyalty, I mean, I, I've talked to some of the men here that have their own business. Man, just getting somebody to consistently come to work on time, that's a huge deal just to have that. Proverbs 31, you know this chapter. It's about the virtuous woman. But look with me, look in verse 28, notice what it says. It says, her children arise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and what? He praiseth her. Brethren, if you want to foster some loyalty, if you want to show your wife your loyalty, that means that you are going to speak well about her in public, in front of others, even as you, even Brother Roger, as you did tonight. In your prayer and your thanks, man, you're grateful for some things that your wife is willing to do on behalf of somebody else. Whether it be kinfolk or not, there have been plenty of times that wives and mothers in here have looked after other people's kids and looked after some of our kinfolk when they've been ill and done it with a good spirit and attitude. And they should be praised. There, There are men in here that have done things like that. That's why I said, you know, that our words, our words, and he praiseth her. And uh, notice what it says, many daughters, verse 29, many daughters have done virtuously, but thou excellest them all. Man, what a difference that is. And loyalty is a virtue. And so we ought to, we ought to be praising our wives in front of others. We ought to have some words of encouragement periodically for them. Words of gratitude about our lives, that we're grateful for what they do, and we acknowledge those things, and we say those things under earshot, not not necessarily, and it doesn't mean that it has to be broadcast at every opportunity. I don't think anybody's, I don't think anybody is looking for patronizing words. That falls under flattery, which is an inflated estimation of something. But just being grateful, maybe sometimes for the everyday things that they do and not taking it for granted. And you know what? It, it, also, means, it also means passing out a warning to your children with your words. That it might be, hey, you don't talk to your mom like that. You don't speak to your mother that way. I mean, you know what? And dad, you ought to support her in that. Amen. Amen. It's so. Because if you don't, they're going to say, well, man, dad, doesn't matter to dad. You know, we can just say whatever we want. Dad must think this too. He didn't disagree. You'd be surprised. Listen, kids know how to test the boundaries. And they, they know if you're a negotiator or you're an enforcer. Because kids know how to parent shop. I knew how to. Probably if I were to ask you, if you wanted something, who did you ask in your family? You probably could tell you, well, it would be, it'd be this person, it would be that person. It might have been, oh, I have to ask my grandma. Why? Because my mom and dad were a team. Yeah, man. That's what makes a difference. Being unified, being loyal, being supportive of one another with your words. 
you know, we, we would, it would kind of be, you know, sometimes, you know, when I was a kid and, and I didn't have time to poll you all, but so, you know, when I was a kid, sometimes I would say, well, you know, okay, hey, dad, can I do this or whatever? And he said, well, go ask your mom. And so I'd ask my mom and she'd say, well, what did your dad say? He told me to ask you. Okay, well, that, 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 that was sort of the green light. It didn't matter. But if she had a question or, but when I would get in trouble and what we sort of did with our own kids is if I went to my mom and I said, hey, could I do this? And she said, no. And then I went and asked my dad and he said, what did your mom say? Well, she said, no. But you got in trouble for that. You're trying to get you're trying you're trying to break the law. <laughs> and I appreciate my dad, he wasn't going to undo what mom had said. Kids find out pretty quick that hey, you know, they're working together. <laughs> and they need to know that. That you support one another. That I'm telling you that will save you some heartache down the road, some trouble down the road with your children. So so uh, uh, there ought to be words of warning. There ought to be words of gratitude. There ought to be words of encouragement. And there ought to be words of praise when we're in front of other people. How do you suppose, in verse 28, it says, Her children arise up and call her blessed. Where did they learn to do that? They learned to do that because that's what they had heard their father do. And they got right in line with that. Because, you know, for a lot of children, you know, believe it or not, mom and dad, believe it or not, oftentimes your children do have a down deep desire to please you. I know you think, man, you don't know my kids. (laughs) You'd be surprised. Down deep, they have a desire to please you. That's the reason why when they do some things that you laugh at it, what do they do? They do it again because they enjoyed watching you laugh. And that's where you have to be careful sometimes because they'd done something that was cute maybe, but it, but it wasn't something that they should be doing out there in public. And what are they going to do? They're going to do that when they're out in public and then you're going to scold them for it. And that produces confusion and frustration. So you've got to be careful about what you think is precocious and what is cute because it may not be in every circumstance. But down deep, they want to please you. And so, so when, you, when, when you have that, then there's an opportunity for them. And so they rise up and they call her blessed. And that should be common practice that they are thanking mom for the food, thanking her. Man, man I thank you that my tennis shoes or my socks or whatever or my lunch was just the way I like it. Those ought to be common things that go on in the house. And again, I don't think they have to be little robots about it, but I do think that there ought to be that attitude of gratitude, and that has to be taught. And it might be simple things that you can do. And you know, when you have to ask yourself, you have to measure your own loyalty and see how you measure up, see how your kids measure up to some of these things. And it takes time to examine it and look at your life about how often you do these things as you have opportunity. But you ought, you ought to be mindful of that. I was thinking about, I was trying to think of some examples in the Bible and I thought about Elkanah and Hannah. You know, that though she was barren, the scripture says that he loved her and he even gave her, the scripture says he gave her a worthy portion that he didn't do for the others. Though they had borne him children, he wanted her to know that he loved her still. Closed womb or not, she meant something to him. And brethren, that's how it should be with our words and so forth. And then the last thing tonight would be with our ways, our ways. And I want you to go to the, you're in the book of Proverbs. Go to Proverbs 5 with me. Proverbs chapter 5. And, and let me say this to you, brethren, in particular. Do you know, do you know how your wife will, will sense some law? She will know that you are loyal when you don't have a lustful eye for other women. You will help her immensely. And you say, what do you mean? You say, Brother Ed, man, we live in a sports illustrated swimsuit edition world. <laughs> 
You're right, we do. Everywhere you go, they're all, they're, they are peddling. Uh, I'll just say it. You, I know there's young people here, but they're peddling sexual activity. These kids know more than what you think they know. And, uh, and I'm not trying to bring them further along. I'm just trying to say that you live in that kind of world, brethren, and you've got to know in your own temperance and allow the Spirit of God to develop that in your life. That if you're in the grocery store or you're at academy, it's summertime and, and, and the like, you know, it, it, you can't, you're not responsible for what every other female wears uh, in that store. But, you know, but if I knew there was something down that aisle, I'm going to wait for them to leave or whatever, but I'm not going to go down there for a second look. Amen, Brother Ed. It's true. It's true, brethren. What, what do you think that does to her? It diminishes her. I mean, your wife may even at some point in time ask you, why do you love me? What was it about me that you loved when we were courting that you decided to ask me for the second date or whatever it was? And you ought to be able to answer those questions. Now you say, well, man, she's insecure. Well, she might be. Because that might be, because I'm going to tell you, a woman responds to the way that she is treated. That's how she reacts. And if you do those kind of things frequently enough, that you will make it where she will have to have some validation. Listen, none of us look the same way that we did when we were 20. Take a lot of pictures, Brent. You're not going to look that way in 40 years. Thank you, brother. You're not. You know, and somebody had the good sense to snap my picture when I had a mask over my face in that military picture. (laughs) All I had to do was show it at the back of the airplane, kill the enemy, take that off and look at them, you know. My, My point is, is that nobody looks the same. Man, when, when, when they're having a child, everything on the inside gets moved around. It takes about a year after the baby is born for all of that to go back. There's going to be a period of time they will have not seen their feet in several weeks. Their ankles swell up. Their fingers swell up. They, they can't pick something up without having to run to the bathroom. Got a problem. Indigestion. Tired. Back hurts. They cooperated. They're carrying that child. And she's going to go through the valley of the shadow of death for you to deliver it. You've got to be there for her. I'm not necessarily talking about in the delivery room, but I'm talking about after that. You understand? You've got to remember. You've got to remember the days. And I understand, man, we need to take care of ourselves as men. They need to do their best, take care of themselves as women. That's how that works. That's part of that benevolent marriage that when you're thinking about the other person first, according to 1 Corinthians 7. But at the same time, brethren, our ways, we ought to be promoting this loyalty. Hannah got a worthy portion. Someplace else, another way that you can show this to her, what I was going to have you read, the scripture says, that you and I, that we should be, if you will, we should rejoice with the wife of our youth. Exactly what Solomon said in that passage in the book of Ecclesiastes. Rejoice with the wife of our own youth and drink waters out of our own cistern. Look in Proverbs, look in chapter 6 with me. Notice what it says. I want you to see this. Notice what he says, look at verse 20. He says, My son, keep thy father's commandment. Forsake not the law of thy mother. Bind them continually upon thine heart and tie them about thy neck. When thou goest, it shall lead thee. When thou sleepest, it shall keep thee. When thou awakest, it shall talk with thee. Listen, the word of God, you put it in and the Holy Spirit will draw it out. It is the sword of the Spirit to help you to do battle and do combat right up here when you got to have it. 
For the commandment is a lamp and the law is light and reproofs instruction are the way of life. And what is the purpose in all that? Here's the purpose clause. To keep thee from the evil woman. Brethren, they are out there. And they are bold these days. Just exhibit a little bit of leadership. Just show yourself to be a man uh, uh, with your wife or whatever. I'm telling you, women mark that down because it's not prevalent out there. Notice what he says. To keep thee from the evil woman, from the flattery of the tongue of a strange woman. Lust not after her beauty in thine heart, neither let her take thee with her eyelids. For by means of a whorish woman, a man is brought to a piece of bread, and the adulteress will hunt for the precious life. They are predatory. Verse 27 asks a great question. Can can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? What's the obvious answer to that? The answer to that is no. Men, you've got you've got to be you, you you've got to learn the dangers of these things. And in the old saying, if you don't want to fall down, stay away from slippery places. Don't, you're you're no match. You're no match for this stuff. Well, it doesn't bother me. Man, our, Don't rationalize bad behavior. Don't do it. The man that commits adultery with a woman, verse 32 says he lacks understanding and he will do it to the destruction of his own soul. You'll leave a void and a hole in your heart. Don't do it. Don't draw an eye. Man, read chapter 7. Read these passages where these young men void simpletons, void of understanding in the wrong places with the wrong people. Look at Samson, strongest man in the world and had no temperance. Pulled down walls, but he had no rule over his own spirit. Our ways. Don't correct her in front of others. Do you, do you like that on your job? Do you like your boss? Maybe in front of the customer comes up and looks at you and says, man, what in the world are you doing? I, you, don't, you don't do it like that and blah, 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 blah. Man, I'm sorry, sir. He's so incompetent. That, you say, well, man, he would never say that. Well, what I'm trying to get you to see is that's how perception is reality for a lot of people. So when your boss comes in and chews on you publicly in front of other workers or in front of a customer, that's called Humiliation. That does not promote loyalty. And the same thing is true about your wife. You don't correct her in front of the kids. You don't speak ugly to her like that in public. Don't do that. Brethren, you will lose the respect of the men of this assembly when you do that. It's a serious deal. Don't do that. And especially not in front of the kids. And that's why you don't talk about any authority, if you will, in a negative way at the supper table. All you're going to do is sow seeds that your child may be punished for down the road. And then you're going to have to try to figure that out. Avoid those things. Call her and communicate with her about your plans. That's being loyal. Shouldn't be a secret life, a separate life. I don't. Well, I mean, I got to check in. No, we're not talking about checking in. I mean, she's not your mother. You know, the street light came on. Do I have to come home, honey? <laughs> it's just some courtesy. If something happened to you, wouldn't it be nice in this in the day of technology? At least they knew where your phone was when they pinged it, in case they got to go out there and find you. Just little things. You show some loyalty in your ways. Keep your word. Brethren, if you told her you were going to do something, then do it. Don't put somebody else ahead because you like doing that. Well, they, they want me to go to this. Well, 
Yeah, but I said I was going to do this. What if you told your boss that? He wants you to do this. Okay, boss, I'm going to get on that. And then you call him and say, hey, listen, I have a chance to go fishing. <laughs> and I'm going to go, okay? All right, see, I'll get, the, I'll get that other thing uh, when I get back. I'll bring you some fish. Okay, how about that? What do you think he's going to say? Think he's going to be like, well done. Man, good job. I like redfish or whatever it is. No. He's going to say, man, that guy's not very loyal. You would, I'm telling you, you would never think about doing that with your boss. I know that you wouldn't. But sometimes we do it with our loved ones. It doesn't produce loyalty. So you all need to smile at me a little bit. I'm almost done. Amen. It's only that time. Do some simple things. You show loyalty by remembering her birthday. Remember your anniversary. Those aren't huge things, are they? I understand sometimers, all time. I get all that. You say, well, it wasn't a big deal in my life. Well, it's not your life anymore. Remember, you're now twain. Remember those things. I can't remember all the birthdays of my grandchildren. I just know that I just know that usually I got one every month or sometimes two. But I do know when my wife's birthday is. I really do, babe. I know when that is. And I know when our anniversary is. You should know those things as well. Loyalty, brethren, doesn't take a lot. It really doesn't. But I'm telling you, you will reap many, many benefits from being loyal. You'll have her respect for sure. She'll feel tied to you as a couple and you will build your relationship on some solid ground on good footing. Amen? Let's stand. Rejoice with the wife of your youth. You know, it's not too late. I'm just going to throw it. You know, it's not too late to make repairs. You can improve your loyalty because you know what thing about women? Man, they are, they are very forgiving and they're nurturing. And you don't have to make a big deal about it. Don't tell her what you're going to do. Just go ahead and do it. You understand? Show them. Don't tell them. Show them. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word of God. Thank you for my church family and those listening, Lord. Thank you for my dear wife, God. Uh, for these years that you've given us together. And I pray you'll continue to bless our home and our union together, as well as these that are here under the sound of my voice. I pray you'll have your way now. Protect us and watch over us as we go home. Bless our services on Sunday, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.